Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is presented by ThisIsBracketRacing.com. As a racer, you invest a ton of time, energy, and money into competition. You deserve to enjoy the fruits of that labor. To do so, it's imperative to bring the best version of yourself to the starting line in every round of competition. That's where ThisIsBracketRacing.com comes in. This is Bracket Racing houses more than 350 training resources dedicated to helping you reach that goal through understanding and a focused approach to execution. The best part, when you visit thisisbracketracing.com, you get one training resource absolutely free. Better yet, you get to choose the training. It can be related to reaction time, finish line driving, mechanical setup, or the mental game. Whatever best applies to your specific needs at this time. Take the next step to become the best on-track version of yourself today at thisisbracketracing.com slash fast brackets. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Uh, guys, girls, it is episode number 12. Um, it is the second weekend of July. We are coming out of the 4th of July holiday weekend. And I am in a really good mood. And I don't say that often, to be fair. Um, people who know me know that I am not always in a good mood. Um, I can be, on occasion, cantankerous. Uh, but I'm, I'm not today. I'm in a great mood. Um, and I don't know, I don't really have my thumb on it just yet. Um, part of it is I think I'm very grateful to live in a country that gives us so much opportunity um, to you know, to do our hobbies like drag race, to work, uh, to climb uh, in our careers, to chase different things, hobbies, whatever. But when uh, when I was watching the fire, fireworks this weekend, um, I felt like Ric Flair. I mean, I was going around, whoo! I was doing that, baby. Um, do you remember when Rick the Natch was banging on Nikita Koloff in front of Mean Gene Okerlund? <laughs> And he was he was going out there and he was telling Nikita, he was like, if we want to dress up pretty, we dress up pretty. If we want to wear blue jeans, we wear blue jeans. If we want to go out with good-looking women, we go out with good-looking women. Woo! This is America! And that's what he was doing, and that's what I was feeling like. Uh, my, ma- my man, the Natch, got down with that, and I got down with him. So um, part of it could be, um, you know, I got to race this weekend, and the last round I ran, I didn't lose, so that helps. Um, but uh, I'm just really, really excited about our episode today. Uh, the only thing that has me a little bit down um, is, uh, you know, that uh, I had to walk in this morning with a um, goose egg on my forehead. So I, I push out the car uh, to race this weekend, and I you know, go to turn it over and I hear that, which can only mean that, uh, I am missing flywheel teeth and or starter teeth. So 
I started the show uh, by replacing the flywheel on the car. Um, and at some point when I was uh, unhooking the drive shaft and kind of moving that around, the um, U-joint uh, fell and knocked me right on the forehead. So I walk in this morning and my boss thinks I got into a fight, um, which is a little odd. I tried to explain, but truthfully, I, I couldn't get him to understand what a flywheel was, um, let alone how to replace that. So um, hopefully for all you guys, um, any scars you got over the weekend are much more easily explained than mine. Um, you know, and uh, and off we go. So there it is. We've got a great show today. Um, clean the shop, uh, put the earphones on, mow the yard, um, load into the rig and get caught up on your episodes. We have an unbelievable episode today. Um, we have champions world dominating episode here we have two greats paul nero who is your 2018 nhra top dragster world champion comes on and then also luke bogaki uh multi-time world champion in the brains behind this is bracket racing and this is bracket racing elite um hey before we get at it today though tweet at me I really appreciate the feedback. Um, you can get at me on Twitter at Fast Brackets. You can like and send me messages on the Facebook page, The Fast Brackets Podcast. Uh, follow that, um, share, get the word out to people that you know you'd like it. Uh, some of you guys are messaging me on Yellow Bullet and or Drag Race Results. I'm cool with that too. Uh, I appreciate all the feedback, good, bad, or, um, you know, different and different so keep it up your messages and thoughts are great stuff guys girls do one last walk around the car get strapped in here we go all right let's make a pass uh, let's get them hot here let's put it in the water box and get them nice and smoky hey um today let's talk about registrations for the u.s nationals um i'm a i'm a little bit even late on this um because top dragster now has been filled for two weeks plus um and we are likely gonna have 46 entries um top sportsman is almost full and my guess is we're gonna have around 43 entries on the top sportsman side um so every other class besides pro mod is less than a quarter percent filled so from a um, outside view in or from the nhra view um hey we are in there we are showing that um we are excited about this and and it just goes to show what we already knew was that these classes were dying for the opportunity and you guys got in early as soon as you had that opportunity and you are bringing the heat the big go um nhra has to notice that if they are smart the sponsors will notice that and if nhra sees the sponsor interest then things start happening like bigger purses more coverage which leads to greater fan attention more racer interest etc etc and the cycle continues hey nice job everyone congrats now get ready to put on a show Okay, let's put it in the beams. Hey, our next guest is from Eugene, Oregon. He is a five-time Division Six top 
dragster champion. He is a three-time JEGS All-Star rep. He is a three-time national event winner in Top Dragster, and he is your 2018 NHRA Top Dragster World Champion. Welcome to the show, Paul Nero. Paul, how are you today? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, Hey, thanks for coming on. Um, Our listeners are excited to hear um, a little bit about you and your world championship run last year. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, do you mind taking us way back and um, telling us how you got started in the sport of drag racing? Yeah, sure. That'd be uh, that'd be great. Um, I kind of started out. My dad had a car through the, uh, I'd say late mid eighties, um, just a bracket car back then. You know, weekly bracket racing was kind of the only option for a lot of people. So he ran it. My brother and I kind of went, hung out. At one time, we were actually, uh, boy, in the early eighties. We were actually, you could, a passenger could ride up to like 1150, 1160. Right. So we actually rode a helmet, you know, you know, eight, nine years old riding in the passenger seat of a, like a pro bracket car, sportsman car. And then uh, that went away. So my brother was going to get into it. He kind of didn't get into it. And I, one night we were at Medford, it was dark out. My dad said he couldn't see. So I, I hopped in the car and started driving at that point and uh, ran it for a few years. And then we got rid of it in, uh, in the, I think, 1990, I started running a Fairmont in, I guess at that time it was, uh, I think at that time they had street heavy pro and super pro. So I guess I started running it in pro, in pro bracket, ran at Coos Bay, Oregon and Woodburn drag strip a lot with it. And then, uh, I built a super street car in 93 mm-hmm. and ran it till 2000, got my first dragster in 2001 and then kind of been a dragster guy ever since then. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of local bracket racing all the way through, you know, the mid to late two thousands and then, uh, top dragster. Actually, I got kind of bit by, it was, it was top comp out here. So division six ran top comp, which was actually like top sportsman and top dragster combined. Okay. Um, they started running that their divisional races before everybody else started running um, the top dragster, top sportsman configuration, and uh, and that was kind of fun because at the time it was it was tough to qualify. It was uh, it was tough. It was uh, kind of taught you how to make your car faster and look at the little things and details. And then uh, when top dragster came along, I kind of just went all head first into that and uh, been there ever since. I'm making a note. 2001 was when you crossed over to the dark side. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm. I still. I'm a door car guy. I, I like them. I think they'd. Uh, you know, especially since it's the big bracket races, they've kind of split the categories. I think a door car. Uh, I, I still like the, the look and the style of the door cars for sure. But uh, you know, bang for the buck, the dragster is kind of the way to go nowadays. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and speaking of dragster, um, do you can you walk us through? your championship car yeah um it's a 2014 undercover dragster it was uh i don't know the exact number but it's one of the last few that came out of kurt's shop um i purchased the bare chassis from todd bones ewing at huntsville engine at the time um and then my wife and i completely plumbed it assembled it set it up and uh it's you know it's your standard 
245-inch four-link dual shock behind the rear end dragster with all the, you know, all the normal stuff, the grid, lithium batteries, um, all that good stuff. And then it is powered by a 632-inch Madcap engines. It's got the 12-degree rear Morrison Raptor heads on it. Power glide transmission, and that's uh, my transmission work is done by Mo Trujillo in Portland. You probably know Mo's a top dragster racer for a lot of years. That's he right. does all my training work. Um, you know, it's really nothing super exotic. It runs, it runs 680s on engine, and then I can spray to 650s wherever I need to go if I need to speed up to qualify, but it's, uh, it's kind of a nice tool. I can, if I have to, I can run super comp. If I want to run brackets, it does well at that. It kind of does everything for me at this time. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, yeah, it's a versatile machine and you do run some bracket racing now, um, here, even with, uh, your top dragster competition. Is that right? Yeah, I run, uh, so out here on the West coast, we don't have near as many opportunities to do on the East coast, but, uh, like the spring playing at Las Vegas is a fantastic bracket race. Um, up in the division six, they run a, a super quick series, which is eighth mile. Um, and it's just, it's basically, it's an eighth mile bracket race for fast, uh, fast cars. Yep. So in between national events and divisional events, I like to find some bracket racing to do here and there. Yep. Um, now, so last year though, um, I mean, you make your historic run in, in, and win, um, the, the world championship, um, talk to us a little bit about that season and when did you realize, Hey, I might have a shot at this thing. You know, it kind of, uh, it, it actually started in 2017. So in 2017, I finished number two in the world and I think I lost out by 12 or 13 points. Um, and I actually left, I left one of a national event on the table. I only went to four national events. Um, so I oh, wow. left the potential to, to improve. Um, so at the beginning of 2018, actually at the end of 2017, I decided the wife and I decided that we're just, we're, we're going to make a charge at it and just go make sure we get all the events in and plan our schedule out. So it works out properly. So for us on the West coast, that means starting basically at the end of January in Pomona, Yeah, which it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different because you're really starting early. I mean, it's still snowing and, and cold up in the northwest where you're, you know, you're heading to Southern California for uh, for that deal. Sure. And I, mean, I, I left I left the combination exactly the same. Um, Mo, the same gentleman that does my transmissions, does helps me with my nitrous tune up, and he is he has got me on the path of uh, the nitrous is works very very well for me. It's very tunable. Um, it, it's very consistent. So we started out with the same combination. Pomona was, uh, decent. I think I lost second round of Pomona. I just lost a good race. And then we get to Phoenix and then, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny how things change around Phoenix. I won the national event. And then the next weekend was a divisional race. And it, in division six and division seven, I, you guys have touched on this. It's a 40 eight car field right so there's quite often if you don't have a full field there can be two or three cars at the end of the qualifying sheet that maybe are broke or having a hard time or or whatever and they they put them on the ladder which okay i'm not totally 
thinking that's the right thing to do, but that's what they do. So, you know, what I, what I did is I actually sprayed up to get one of the guys that was broke. Okay. So I had a first round buy on my first round buy at about a thousand feet. I broke a rocker arm. Oh. So I was 1200 slow and, and would have been toast, but I had a single roll back the pit. Second round wasn't until Sunday morning was able to fix the rocker arm, put everything back together, and end up winning that divisional race. Okay, nice. So I got, I got at that point, I was, I was like, you know, may, if I'm going to start out like this, maybe this is going to be the year. Yeah. And uh, at, at that point, after I think, I think after the second round at Phoenix, I took over the national points lead, and I, and I never gave it back the whole year. Um, so af, after Phoenix that was kind of point like, you know, I know that's really early to think about it, but it's like, you know, this, this, if that kind of luck's going to roll my way, this might be the year. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And, and you just executed the rest of the year. I mean, it wasn't, I, I don't want to say it wasn't close. That's not true, but um, I mean, it was, you, you had a handle on it the entire season. Yeah. I mean, I went, I went, I think I went semis at the national event in, in Vegas. And then, um, you know, it's kind of funny. You go back to Jake's all-star and, I don't know what it is about that place, but I just run into buzz size every time I go back there. But after you go back there and it kind of wakes you up like, okay, I, I got to drive better. And I came back and won the divisional race the next weekend at Mission Canada, which just added to it. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, the three weeks after the after the All-Star race, I think I was a win, a quarters, and a runner-up three weeks in a row. Yeah, impressive. Which, uh, yeah, which that that pretty well put it out there where, you know, I kind of looked at it like, like I'm sure you've heard before. I, I you know I put up my best score. If I can get over 600 points, if someone can come catch me and beat me, then I just shake their hand and uh, go on to the next year. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, you got it done. But what I think is um, impressive. So let me ask you this. Um, so tell everybody uh, what you do for a living. I am a service technician for Comcast. Okay, so, so I am a I'm a I'm a forty plus hour a week Monday through Friday normal working guy that just has to find time to get the rest of it done during the week. So I'm looking at a map, and when I look at Eugene, Oregon, and I look at all the time and the miles that you have to go, it's it's not like um, you can schedule your time uh, just however. I mean, you had to schedule all those days off in advance, uh, get the okay from the boss to go do all that travel, right? Correct. It, uh, there's a lot of logistics in the, into racing on the West coast because quite often the toes are, you know, 17 or 18 hours. And, um, I, I tow a lot at night. I mean, I'll get off work at, you know, Wednesday and then tow, tow to get there Thursday at some point. It can, uh, you know, it can be a little bit taxing at times, but Mo, Mo, the other again, he's uh, pretty instrumental in my program. We we tow a lot together and go down south, so uh, you know it makes it a lot easier when you're towing with somebody through the middle of the night for sure. Yeah, I get hemorrhoids just thinking about a 17-hour <laughs> tow. I mean, just I, you know, that uh, is really impressive. And you know, from that area of the country to do all that um, is just, and then to go and then execute once you get there, just so impressive, Paul. Um, um, so. Besides uh, Mo, um, I know you've got some help. Um, people have uh, supported you and and 
know that you can execute. So that that's why they help you. Who who all helps you with your car? You know, I've got I've got I'm very very blessed to have quite a few people that help me. Um, Dan Provo at Rad Torque Systems has been a supporter of mine for quite a long time. Um, Dave Stickland, he's just been a, a friend, you know, uh, a mentor, uh, and supports me and comes to the races and hangs out. It's, it's almost like one of those deals where a lot of these guys they start out as sponsors, but now they're now they're friends, mm-hmm. which is which is really cool. Um, Excel Drywall is a company um, that came on this year to help me out. Um, they've been a lot of help this year. Metalworks is a local company, metalworksspeedshop.com. They uh, they painted the car for me a couple years ago. That was, uh, you know, anytime you can get stuff donated, it doesn't come out of your budget. Huge. Um, Bob at Madcap, um, a few years ago I switched to him, and he's been fantastic. The motor's been reliable, fast, easy to maintain. Um, I can't say enough about them. They're on the West Coast, which Denver I call West Coast. It's a lot easier to ship. <laughs> to and from Denver than shipping all the way back east if you need something done. Yeah, you're kind of making me laugh saying Denver is West Coast, but I, I know yeah. where you're at with that, yeah. It's it's closer than, let's say, shipping back to the East Coast <laughs> or Texas or something, I guess. That's right, yep. Um, Danny Wernier is a local racer in Woodburn, Oregon that's uh, just a friend, and he's been helping me out this year with some, uh, with some funds. Uh, Mickey Thompson Tires, been on them for three or four years. Uh, Great tire, work in all conditions. Um, just seem to make the tuning window much larger with the Mickey Thompson tire. And then VP Racing Fuels. Mark Wessler, VP, has uh, come on board a couple years ago and helped me out with some fuel. And uh, we've tried some different fuels and tried some different things. And it's kind of funny. I haven't found a fuel that isn't great, but I found a couple a little bit better than the rest. So uh, great support for them. Yeah. Now, um, well, you mentioned this earlier, and – and you're you compete out of Division Six, um, and so you mentioned this, and we obviously had this conversation on the show. Um, but do you mind giving me your take on the 32 versus the 48 car fields? Because maybe um, it, you have a different take than what uh, Steve Kasner had on last time. You know, it it it's a tough subject because I mean it's just it's one of those half a dozen here, half a dozen deals there. I mean, I think. I think it needs to be the same, whether it's 32 or 48. Um, it would level the playing field a little bit. I mean, a lot of people have the perception that, well, 48, you get more points and you have an advantage. Well, that only takes effect if you win the race. If you don't win the race, you actually get more, you get less points per round than a 32-car field. Yeah. Um, if you win five rounds in a 32-car field, you get 95 points. If you win five rounds in the 33 and above, you get 84 points. Um, but all said, you know, you quite often out here don't have to worry about qualifying, where I think like at any of this last weekend, it was in the mid-50s. 41. I mean, I got, it was a 41. Was that, is that what it ended up to be? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. well, you're not going to just take, you know, you're not going to just take your – bracket car and run that obviously right i mean you have to have almost a a purpose-built car um so that's one argument to take away from the 48 car field um the other thing that's uh, you know i think it ought to be 
I think you ought to be able to claim three out of your six like the other classes instead of three out of five. Mm-hmm. Which right now when it's when it's three out of five and five out of eight, you almost have to make your points up on the divisional side than not so much on the national side. So maybe if you went to a 32-car field, but you weighed more heavily, so say you claimed four national events and four divisionals, and that would weigh heavier on the national event score that you get. Because, I mean, national events are more difficult than a divisional race. It's just it's just the way it is. Right. It's, it's spread out more days. The conditions change more. You're quite often not pitted in the spot that you would normally pit a divisional race. There's a lot of things that happen that make division, national events more difficult. So maybe if you went to 32 cars, you weighed the national events more heavier than divisional events. Um, that's a possibility, but, you know, the 48-car field, I hate to see local guys that want to run some divisional races shut out. Yeah. Because, you know, then if the, you know, if the class gets to be, you know, a 620, 630 class, which it has the potential, um, you know, that that's going to change it quite a bit. But the 32-car field is also in some ways hurt. Like at national events where it's fast, they can only get 25 or 26 cars. Mm-hmm. Because all the people that would be on the fence just don't go. So I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I wish I had an answer. Um, I do agree that whatever they come up with, I think it does need to be the same across the board so that the points would be equaled out that way. I, th- I think that's the universal response from everybody that, you know, you can get a back and forth on 32 versus 48, but what I've never seen anybody on the topic deviate from is that it should be universal. The numbers should be the same across all divisions. That's that's the thing that I think everybody has agreed on so far. So I, I really appreciate your opinion. Um, you know, obviously you have uh, a plethora of experience in that, and you come from the division, or uh, one of the two, that kind of – uh, shakes it up with that. So really, really appreciate your thoughts on that, Paul. Um, well, one thing one thing that I've always told myself when I run Top Dragster is when I first got into Top Dragster, and it was 32 cars, I believe, at the time out here, I told myself that I'm only going to be able to run this for a certain amount of years, and then I'm just not going to be able to run it. And that's just a fact, the way it is. So I still have that mentality where you know, there may be in two or three years, if it, if it goes to 32 cars and it gets crazy, I'll just have to find another place to race. That's just the reality of, you know, finances and and uh, ability to fund the situation. So, I mean, I, so 32 cars, in my opinion, is probably, you know, the way to go because when you have a bump spot, the bump spot is exciting. I when we used to run when Top Comp came out out here it was thirty two cars, and when it first started out here, and and you're gonna laugh at the bump, but it was like seven seventy five to seven eighty is kind of where the bump spot went. Sure, there were guys bolting nitrous on, taking wings off. <laughs> I mean, and there were people that were lining the fences to watch that last qualifying, um, 
run because it was important. It meant something. You were trying to get into the field. Right. So I, I think all in all, when it gets all said and done, if they really want the class to grow, there's two things that ought to happen. I think it ought to go to 32 cars. I think it ought to be run at every national event. And then I think it ought to pay the same to win a national championship with the same stuff as the other Lucas Oil categories. Yep, that's uh, that is a long. You and I think alike on that. So um, yeah, no, I I I think we will, uh, you know, we'll we'll work on that together. We'll work on that as a community, and um, you know, uh, see if we can get it there. Um, yeah, it's it's almost like it, it's it's close, but it's like just NHRA needs to take that next step and say, okay. You know, comp eliminator is cool. Comp eliminator is is very intriguing to people that know it. But like on the West Coast, it's it's a low car count. Yeah, I, yeah. I, the top sports and top drags are thing. You know, I think if you just flat just said let's go thirty two cars, all national events, and and just let it go, I I think it would I think it would flourish beyond belief. You are preaching to the choir, champ. Um, that is, uh, I, I believe that wholeheartedly, and that's uh, why I'm here. Guys, um, that was your 2018 world champion, Paul Nero. Thanks so much for coming on, Paul, and good luck the rest of the year. Thank you. And I obviously, uh, before I get out of here, I got to obviously thank the wife and my, uh, my wife, Christy, and my children, Samantha and Lauren, for their support. And letting me take the ridiculous amount of time it takes to uh, perform at a high level, and uh, I need to thank them a hundred percent for their uh, support. Yep. No, you got it. You got it. Uh, thanks so much, and um, come back anytime. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Today's half track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. When it's time to make a tough tuning decision, who do you turn to? Of course, you turn to an expert tuner who has seen those conditions before. So, when it's time to make a tough legal decision, who do you turn to? Of course, you need Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. He's a drag racer and someone who has seen the, those legal conditions before. When you need someone you can trust to give you the proper legal tune-up, go to DragRaceLawyer.com. Okay, let's go to the NHRA national event in Epping, New Hampshire for the New England Nationals. Um, first off, let's talk top sportsmen. Let's go to the door car side. Um, number one, your number one qualifier at 6.14.9 at 239 miles an hour. I'm going to butcher up this last name, but it was Cedric Bo Leo, I, I know that's not right. I apologize, Cedric, in advance. And a guy with the last name of Simmermaker should do better. Um, but uh, Cedric, get in and correct me if you don't mind. But the point is, Cedric goes 614.9 at 239 miles an hour. That is absolutely flying. Um, wow, nice job, Cedric. Um, there, there were 28 cars there, so the quote-unquote bump was a 790 um, at the national event there in, in Epping. So I want you to remember that, that the bump was 790 for that national event. Um, 
the winner ultimately was Dave Miller over uh, Richard Lachapel. Um, hey, Dave had a really uh, nice, nice effort to get the win there. So um, in the first round, he gets a competition single. Uh, second round, he goes 006, um, cuts a nice light there to get that win, earns the buy round for round three. In the semi, cuts an 18 light and goes one above um, over Johnny Brooks, who was has been really, really hot. So that's a really nice lap in that semi and then gets the solid win in the final over uh, Lechapel. So nice work to Dave Miller. He fought his way through that. Um, it, it probably wasn't easy. I mean, we've all had those events where, um, you know, it, it just seems to fight you, but you you earn it all the way through. And it looks like Dave Miller earned that one in the top sportsman side at the national event. So congrats to Dave. On the top dragster side, um, your number one qualifier was Alan Kenny at 6.24.9 at 202. Um, ultimately, Alan qualifies number one because uh, Frank Zafrino gets a speeding ticket for going 6.05. So shame on you, Frank, for going too fast. Um, so um, Alan, congratulations, Alan Kenny, for going number one. Um, there were 31 cars there, so the bump was 771. Um, and the winner then was Kenneth Moses. Um, he goes 002, two above. Uh, to break out Nicholas Maloney in the final. Um, so good job there, guys, um, on the top sportsman and top dragster side at New England. Um, so kind of a tale of two worlds here. So think about what happened in New England. And now we got to bring you to Indianapolis for the summer spectacle, spectacle sorry, the Division Three event in Indy. And I think this is really a warm-up for things to come in September for the U.S. Nationals here in Indy. Um, it, this was wild fast. Um, let's start on the top sportsman side. The top, top sportsman number one qualifier, your number one qualifier, Cheyenne Stanley from that fastest neighborhood in the country, Cynthiana, Kentucky, um, in his 07 Haas Mustang. He goes 626 with a four at 232 miles an hour with those twin turbos. Um Guys, there were 46 cars on the property. The bump spot was 675.7. Not a record that we had earlier um, in Norwalk, but very, very close on a very humid and muggy summer afternoon uh, or summer weekend here in Indy. Um, The winner, though, um, my man Jerry Alberts uh, gets the win there um, last night. Um, I mean, he came in, he got the karma, um, and really, this is just another um, another thing here where we've got we in the final was Jerry Alberts and his good friend Lester Johnson. So both those guys have come on the podcast um, and got the karma, went to the final. Jerry was deadly all weekend. Um, I mean, he he had that six seventy two on the car, um, and his really only issue was making sure that he got in. Once he got in, um, he was a tough out and gets the win. So congrats to Jerry uh, and Lester, but congrats to Larry, uh, Jerry Alberts. He uh, moves up the point standings in Division Three on just an awesome showing on the top sportsman side. Now, when we go to top dragster, look out. So there were 38 cars. Um, the number one qualifier from 
only Illinois, the home of the White Squirrels, Al Peevler. Al Peevler goes 6'10 with a 5 at 227 miles an hour. Uh, your number two qualifier was friend of the podcast. You know her, Ashley Johnson. She goes 6'10 with an 8. So Al and Ashley were right up top. Um, and we were missing one um, because Phil Oakley – uh, from Phil Oakley Motorsports, uh, sponsor of the Top Sportsman, Top Dragster classes in Division Three, he gets booted. He goes in the five. So, how would you like to be the division director who has to go down and kick out the series sponsor for going too fast? Um, probably not a great conversation right there, uh, but uh, I know Phil uh, was uh, very understanding, and um, you know. I guess he'll figure out how to dial it back next time, um, but he certainly got a handle on making power in that class. Um, so without Phil, uh, the bump spot was 641. You heard that right. The bump um, index baseline 610. The bump is 641. So that's less than 100 for each qualifier in that. That is smoking. That is really, really cool for the class. Um, and in the end, last night, um, Mike Coughlin gets the win in his supercharged Jegs dragster. Mike was qualified number 16 at 620. So think about that. There were 16 cars qualified between 10 and 20, and Mike was deadly all weekend. And he gets the win in uh, top dragster at Indy. Nice job, Mike. Um, of one other thing of note that happened here this, this weekend in Indy. Um, so there was a Norwalk final for the top sportsman guys, uh, to run. And that got interesting because Justin Souders and Gary Wojanowski ran this final three separate times. So you heard that right. So they didn't get to run it in Norwalk. They say, Hey, we'll finish this thing up when we get to Indy. They both agree. They're both going to Indy. So they do it during a qualifying event. The first time they line up, they get a pro tree. So they don't get a full tree. So uh, Justin takes off. Uh, Gary kind of sits there, and everybody's like, what the heck's going on? So they bring them back again. This time they line them up, and they run them with a full tree, but there's no crosstalk because they run it like on a on a stock light setup there. So the um, – Justin, I believe, was quicker and goes red or something like that. But they realized that there's no um, crosstalk. And and so, you know, they got to run this thing again. So, finally, they run this final for the third time. They get the lights right. And Justin then broke his third member in the final, final, and um, giving the win to Gary. So, congrats to Gary Wojanowski for winning the Norwalk Top Sportsman event in Indy. For the third time. Uh, congrats for hanging in there and nicely done. Next week, guys, uh, we will cover. We've got a full house next week, so there'll be a lot of this uh, half-track report next week. It'll be We've got a full house. We've got the Division Three event in Chicago. Uh, probably very similar guys and very similar bump spots. Um, we've got the Division Four event in Bristol, the Division Six event in Woodburn, Oregon, and the Mountain or uh, Midwest Pro Mod Series event at Extreme Raceway Park in Ferris, Texas. So, all of that next week on the Half Track Report. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here a little bit. Um, I've got 
Um, just a truly impressive guest for us today. Um, man, th this next guest is a two-time NHRA world champion. He is your 2017 Spring Fling Million Dollar winner. He's a five-time NHRA division champion. He has 14 national event wins. He is uh, holds the greatest Super Comp winning streak in the history of the NHRA. He's the founder of ThisIsBracketRacing.com. He's a surefire first ballot sportsman, drag racing Hall of Famer. Welcome to the show, my friend, Luke Bogaki. Thank you for that, Rex. Uh, it's great to be on. I love what you're doing with the show and uh, honored to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sadly, Luke, um, all I have time for today is just go through your accomplishments. So that'll do it for today. Thanks for coming on. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, just a, a, an incredible list of accomplishments and um, uh, yeah, appreciate you coming on. This is, this is really good stuff. Uh, hey, so I think a lot of our listeners would know kind of your history just from um, you know, being in the sport, um, reading, but I, I'd like to ask you about, do you remember when you, uh, staged the car, um, for the final in the Springfield million, which I'm guessing was kind of the largest purse you had done at the time or probably ever have. Um, do you remember that and take us back and what, what do you really stood out to you, um, about that besides the wind light, obviously? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my case, keep in mind, I started, obviously, that was the second year of the, the Spring Fling Million, and I had been to the first one. Um, but the actually, the original million-dollar race, I went to my first one in 1999. I hadn't missed one since. So for 20 years, I've been thinking about what that's going to feel like, you know, what that, right. I, for kind of preparing myself for that moment. And if we're going to be completely honest, probably assumed it would happen a lot earlier in my <laughs> career it seemed like it was a long time getting there but kind of mentally prepared from that standpoint and when I look back on that that 2017 spring fling million I was just in a really good place mentally because at that time I mean I'm on the heels of four or five really good seasons of racing so confidence is way up not only in my ability to execute but just my equipment my program in general you know I, you know, I feel like I'm going to have an opportunity to be in that position and then too that was that time in life where I was sort of beginning to transition from that you know 40 plus weekends a year on the road competition to where I'm at now, more focused on family and still racing, but picking and choosing. I knew that was on the horizon and it really, uh, it kind of forced me to, to take inventory and say, and this is really cool. I've kind of taken it for granted my entire career to have the opportunity to be here. And I remember that whole week in Vegas really making a point of taking it all in, you know, like the, the scene, the backdrop, as you stage in Vegas, you're looking at the mountains and the atmosphere of that event. And I remember this sounds kind of crazy, but physically taking a moment before I pulled in the water box for the final and thinking to myself, this is freaking awesome. Like <laughs> this is the reason that I race to be in moments like this. Cause win, lose or draw a, obviously the purse has been cut up. Like you're making a lot of money today, which is great. Um, there's still a lot of money on, on the line in the final, but regardless, like you're going to make a lot. But just the, the thought process that 
I've wanted to be here my entire career. And someday, hopefully, I'm going to be sitting on my porch in a rocking chair with my grandkids and tell them about this moment. Like, win, lose, or draw. This is pretty awesome. So take a second and just soak it all in. And I think that, like, gratitude and that perspective, looking back at least, really helps me to perform. And who knows? The final is a complete coin flip. Like, I get there a thousandth of a second. It could have easily gone either way. But, yeah, when that wind light comes on, like, I still envision it in my head. I click the car in neutral. I shut it off. And you could probably hear me screaming at the starting line. It was it was exhilarating. It was exciting. It was awesome. That's incredible yeah um and i mean that's just uh goes to show like you have to be all the things have to be clicking right your mental game the car all the stuff has to go um into that and yeah i appreciate you taking us back to that that's uh that's really really cool stuff now of of course now on the bracket racing side for whatever i mean that's becoming almost commonplace now that to stage up um for that amount of money um and and you're Your weekly podcast um, that focuses on sports, sportsman drag racing, uh, the sportsman drag racing podcast with Luke and Jed, um, talks about that all the time. Um, do you want to give us a kind of a state of the union in terms of these uh, bracket racing in general and specifically some of this high dollar bracket racing that's coming around? Sure, sure. A little. Um... Well, inside baseball behind the scenes here, this is this is actually perfect primer for me. Was we're recording this uh, about six hours prior to recording the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, which I okay. think this will actually be next week's episode, where we really get into like what does all this mean for you know big picture for the, the future of sportsman drag racing. And here's kind of my take on it. I just I think. I see a lot on social media now as to specifically with the the announcement of these two guaranteed million dollar race million dollar to win races coming up in 2020 in addition to the original million in addition to the Springfield million in addition to all the other SFG races and all these seemingly every day you see popping up 50 grander to win 100 grander to win 150 grander to win whatever um, but I see a lot of this pushback as to how oh, this is the downfall of our of our sport, and or you see the complete other end of the spectrum. This is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and I'm kind of in the middle. Like I, I kind of want to temper all of that and just say, to me, if you sportsman drag racing, in particular bracket racing, is not without issues. Like there are obviously issues facing. Um, what we grew up on, Rex, like the, 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 the niche of our sport that we love. But on that list, the fact that we're going to have two guaranteed million dollar to win races, to the extent that that's a problem, it gets way down the list. I look at it as <laughs> right. this is, uh, uh, I look at everything like kind of cause and effect. And the, the big prizes are not the cause of the downfall of, of sportsman racing or big dollar bracket racing, they're the effect. Because when you think back to it, I thought for years that the purses that we were racing for, and this is absolutely still the case, like in the NHRA ranks, the purses that we're racing for are not commensurate to the amount of money tied up in our racing operations. Now I realize like for most of us, this is a hobby. So that's not necessarily the end game. But you just think about like the regular Saturday night bracket racer that to, in today's world has a, a modest operation, tra- trailer race car. At minimum, it's like a $50,000 operation. Easily. For many, it's 
six figures or, you know, vastly uh, above that. And you just think, like, let's say that you've got a $70,000 race operation and to go out on your regular Saturday night, you're going to spend two to $300 by the time that you have entry fees, buybacks if necessary, fuel, you know, whatever is involved in your race day. You do all of that to try, if everything goes perfect, to win like $1,000. Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Especially when you realize that it's not really any more difficult in terms of actually winning the race to win a 10 grander or a 50 grander or a hundred grander. So uh, as those events started popping up, racers began to migrate to them. I don't think that that speaks as much to the big dollar racing killing the local Saturday night as much as like the local Saturday night wasn't really keeping up and racers were looking for something different. Um, So where does that, where does it go? I, I don't know. Like, Short term, I think the million-dollar race that the, that they're putting on in Memphis that the Cummings and Gavin Rallison are doing, I think it's going to sell out in like 10 minutes. I think it's going to be a huge success. I think the SFG million, it's going to be a huge success. I have a hard time thinking that the Spring Sling brand and that the original million will not continue to uh, have huge car counts and be successful in the short term. I think they're all going to do well. Um, big picture is... What, what does that do for our sport? Because ultimately the issue, in, in my opinion at least, isn't the fact that we're racing for big purses. That's the effect of uh, the, the biggest problem, I think, facing sports and drag racing, and that is that we have allowed the, the cost of competition, even at the entry level, to escalate to the point that it's not something that the average you know, 20-something would even consider. That's the problem. Now we're catering to that, you know, because the market dictates, hey, we can, we've got these people that have made the investment. Now let's pay them more money. That's fine and well in the relatively short term, but where does it lead? And the only thing that you can compare it to, racing-wise, is I think back to the advent of bracket racing. Like it started because the the. Um, like stock super stock classes on what's the it's not oh, index racing class mod, racing yep. got out of hand financially and bracket racing was a way for um for us as, as racers to spend less money to go have fun and, and now it is elevated to the point that it's not particularly cost effective to get started so what's the next thing you know i mean there's enough of us at the highest level now to support all of these big races but where does the next generation of racers come from? And I don't know the answer to that. And I don't think there's any way at this point to really turn back the clock and make the rules changes or the, the, the changes necessary to decrease the cost of racing at our level. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's something that you can rein back in. Now, what's next? I, I don't know. But I think it's going to take something along those lines. Like, the people that came up with bracket racing and said, hey, uh, we can come up with something that's a little bit more cost effective. It's easier to get involved in. It's not necessarily determined by the cubic dollar. Um, like there has to be a, a next wave of that, I think, in order for our sport to continue to grow. Yeah, no, that I, I think that point is very well taken. And, um, you know, one of the next kind of wave things was just helping the average bracket racer understand the mechanics of um, of winning and losing, and and I don't mean that from a mechanical standpoint. I meant from a mathematics standpoint, and that was one of the things that 
um, you have kind of set the gold standard with in terms of uh, creating this is bracketracing.com. Um, would, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about how that came about? No, not at all. I appreciate that. Um, funny, like most things in my life that have been successful, I can't really take any credit for it. I completely backed into it. Um, <laughs> I was approached by a, a really good friend of mine. His name is Blake Allen, racer from Oklahoma, um, back in like 2005. Hey, man, you should put on a driving school. And I thought him about it. And I was just like, Blake, listen, there is nobody in their right mind that is going to pay good money to listen to me talk about racing. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And we went back and forth on it for six months. Like, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. So ends up, Blake took it upon himself, and he put together a group of 12 racers, and he collected money from all of them. And he said, called me one day and said, Luke, I've got these guys. I've got their money. All you need to do is show up and put on a school. And that's how our first class of it was at Mocan Dragway in 2006. And I was still, at the time, really um, trepid, nervous, uh, uneasy about the whole idea because I thought, man, I, I, keep in mind, I'm 25 years old. I had had some success, but I'm going to be talking to people that have been doing this longer than I have, that have more experience, that undoubtedly have a way of doing things and they're going to argue with me over how to, you know, like the way that I approach it. And then I got into it and realized that you have a group of people that come to something like this because not only did they realize that they have an ability to improve, they want to improve. Like that's why they're there. So they're super receptive and that those two days changed my life. Like it was so rewarding. And I still remember everyone that was in that class, right? That first time that we ever did it. And um, it just changed my outlook on everything because it was so cool to see people literally grow over the course as, as a racer over the course of two days and how much they appreciated just a different perspective on things that that spawned into, you know, we hosted probably four or five dozen classes similar to that over the next five to eight years. And ultimately we launched this is bracketracing.com in 2009, basically just to try to take that idea and kind of scale it to reach people across the country now across the continent without asking the racers to necessarily come to us. And it allows us to help more pe more racers uh, become the best version of themselves um, you know, logistically. And then from there spawned into um, um, this is Bracket Racing Elite, which is basically like, I felt like we got a little bit too disconnected or I got too disconnected. Like we were creating this awesome content on this is bracketracing.com. But after years of that and just kind of uh, rolling it out to whoever was interested, but it was really impersonal. After a few years of that, I was like, man, I really miss working one-on-one -on -one with racers. And now our elite community kind of gives the opportunity to bring that aspect back to it, uh, not only providing the training, but also, hey, the one-on-one. -on -one. This specifically is what you need to work on. So that's kind of come full circle, and uh, and that's where it's at now, 10 years into this is com, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's uh, – and I remember, you probably don't remember, but I was at one of your very early, uh, this is bracket racing trainings at Bunker Hill uh, Drag Strip in 
Montana a mm-hmm. hundred years ago. Uh, Jason sure. Lynch, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, that guy, Ooh, he's impressive. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I learned a ton that weekend, and I, I just that was when I first realized I have no idea what's going on out there, and um, and and so then after the weekend I was like, oh, okay, now I kind of get it, and uh, so yeah, opened my eyes quite a bit, and I'm sure that's what um, you know a lot of guys are doing now, and with that, and then also when they get involved with this is bracket racing elite. Um, that's its own community in itself, right? I mean, you can have guys that are just focused in on top dragster or top sportsman and talk about, you know, how they improve and maybe even from across the country so they're not competing with each other, per se? Sure. No, it can get really specialized. Like, we have a lot to offer just on thisisbracketracing.com. You can essentially purchase any of the the trainings that we've ever put together, whether whether they're video or written. And we have a library of like 350 plus trainings dedicated to basically every aspect of the sport that you could imagine. So you could go in there and just pick and choose and say, I want to learn about this. Um, the difference between what's on this is bracketracing.com and joining the elite community is that within elite, you get access to all of that, number one. That's like part of your membership. So you can pick and choose whatever you want at no additional cost. But the real difference in Elite is community, the community aspect. You're surrounded not only by the instructors, myself, Kevin Brannon, Justin Lamb, all former NHRA World Champions, but a community of 300-plus racers who are dedicated to improvement, who are um, going through the same things that you're going through that are struggling with the same things that you're going through that provide that support and probably more importantly, that accountability. Um, so when I think about elite, it's, it's about community, it's about accountability and it's about access to, um, people that can help you in addition to all of the, the training material in general. And as you mentioned, we can get really specific with it because now as our community has grown, if you say, like, hey, I've got a, uh, a Pro Charger-equipped top dragster car, and uh, I'm doing this, this, and this, well, odds are there's, like, four or five at least other members in the group that have a somewhat similar combination that are, again, because we're all looking to kind of get to the same place and become the best version of ourselves on the racetrack, are really open to sharing, like, well, hey, it, maybe not necessarily this is the way to do it, but I can tell you this don't work. <laughs> I don't think you know what I mean, and I think there's a lot of value to that. No question. Yeah, I mean, it it goes back to yeah things like if you can put it on the dyno, you can save yourself a lot of time before you get to the track, and very very similar stuff with that. Um, No doubt. Yeah, that's that's really good stuff. Well, let me ask you this: Um, roughly, how many passes have you made down a racetrack in your life? Okay, you gave me this as a primer, which was good because I would have been. I'd have my shoes off trying to get a rough idea. The best I can figure, like I started racing a junior director when I was 11 and I took a year or two off there when I was 13. I started racing a big car at 14. Okay. Yeah. We won't tell anybody. I, I just spilled the beans on that. Um, and there have been seasons where I made 900 plus runs. And now today if I make, 250 that's a really good year we just don't we just have other priorities in life race but i would say it's fair to say that i've averaged 500 laps a year for now i'm 38 so um what's that 26 years 
So definitely north of 10,000. I would say somewhere in the 12 to 14,000 run range. That's a lot of laps, man. Um, a lot of laps. All right. Well, I ask you that to ask you this, then what's, what's the fastest pass you've ever made? Oh, this isn't close. I, uh, <laughs> we, we did a, uh, we actually put together three cars for a customer. I was actually an elite member, a friend of mine in California named James Warden, James and his wife, Lori. And one of those cars was a pro charger equipped top dragster setup that, um, I wouldn't have even tackled, but Kevin Brandon, my co-instructor with Elite, has some has some uh, experience there, and the wardens ended up buying his basically complete combination from the front of the Pro Charger to the uh, to the output shaft on the transmission, and we dropped it in this car. So we got it all running, and Kevin made the first couple of runs, and then James made a couple of runs. We were testing at Bowling Green late last season, just on a private test day. But before we left the track, they basically wouldn't let me leave without making a run in the car. And I'll be completely honest, I didn't have a lot of, like, it wouldn't be fair to say I didn't have the desire to do it because how often do you get an opportunity to go that fast? That's cool. But it's a Monday test day. Like, there's nothing on the line. Like, there's an ambulance there and everything like that. Like, and I know the car's safe. I put it together, but... Yeah, what's the what's the really the benefit here other than just to say you did it? But anyway, right. that basically forced me into it, so I do it. And uh, I knew from what Kevin had, had run, like it's going to go really fast. It's going three nineties to the eighth. We hadn't made a full quarter mile run. Um, I wasn't going to be the guy to do that. But we were going to run at a thousand foot. Okay. And uh, so I'm telling myself, this is all going to go by really fast. Keep in mind, like I don't think. I ran IHRA top dragster for a couple of years, drove one of Bruce Thrift's cars, I think went six seventies at a little under 200 nitrous combination. That was cool. Um, but this thing's way faster than that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so and you've, and you've run super comp stuff at, I mean, almost 190 miles an hour. Right. And you've done that for a long yeah, time. Like, so you... well, 180s, right? the, yeah. Like low 180s. Right. This car is capable of doing that to the eight. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. I tell myself, because this is what we tell people on, on this is bracketracing.com and, and with any week is if the race, if the, the, the race feels like it's going too quickly, one good tool to kind of break it up is physically like tell yourself where you're at on the racetrack and use the, the timing increments as, as markers. Like there went the 60 foot, there went the 330, you know, and it just makes you realize you're out there for longer than you, than you, than you think. So I'm going to do that, right? I'm going to, the 330 is going to go by, and then it's really fast. So the eighth mile is probably going to fly by, and then you're going to lift a thousand foot, right? Yep. So this thing takes off, and it's cool because it doesn't 60 foot any faster than my bracket car. But you feel the boost come in, and you feel the timing come in, and next thing you know, your things are flying by, right? So I watched the the 330 go by, and I'm like, okay, really focused in on the eighth mile cone, and I kind of watch it come up and go by. I'm like, okay, that, that really wasn't that big a deal. That's cool, and it. There went 1,000 foot. Holy, that was really fast. (laughs) I was supposed to lift right there. So I ended up, I shut off shortly after 1,000. I went 618 at 199. I still have never been 200, but I'm pretty confident that I was going well over 200 when I clicked the ignition off. Um, But yeah, that is by far, I went more mile per hour to the eighth than I had ever been to the quarter. I want to say it went 191 to the eighth. I've never been 190 prior to that. So pretty wild. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you you telling that story because I don't think everybody truly appreciates how fast uh, these cars are going. And 
for a guy like yourself that has had so many laps in the car and then for even you to say, hey, that's a fast pass, um, it kind of gives some perspective to our classes. So uh, appreciate you breaking that down. Um, it's impressive what those guys do, no doubt. <laughs> and, and then, you know, on the top end, I mean, it's uh, – yeah, it's it's really it's it's really really cool stuff. Um, all right, well, hey, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, bet you dinner here, um, and I don't even know why I remember this, but do you remember the first thing I ever said to you when we met? I remember the first time that we met. There was like a, a swap meet deal at. Uh... It was put on by the track at Bunker Hill, uh, That's somewhere right. up there near the track, and I had a little display booth for This Is Bracket Racing. I remember meeting you and Ed and uh, and a bunch of the guys there, but I don't know that I remember our first conversation. That, that's exactly right. That's where it was. And I said to you, and again, I don't know why I remember this specifically, but I do remember saying to you, Luke, I want to like you, but you're a Saluki fan, so that's going to be an issue for me. <laughs> For those of you guys that don't know, um, I went to the University of Evansville. I played basketball very poorly there. Um, that is in the same conference of Luke's Southern Illinois Salukis. And so as much as I love uh, Luke, um, you know, I've, I've got a bone to pick with you about that. Um, and, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so this, this year, um, we're, you know, we've got some Duke it out, our aces and our Salukis going at it. You like your squad this year or no? I'll be completely honest. I don't know enough about our squad this year. We've got two kids that I know we had a coaching change, complete roster turnover. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I have no idea what to expect. You guys got all the transfers that are eligible this year. Evansville should be good, right? I think so. Yep, we've got okay. we've got some good guys coming in. Uh, by all accounts, they um, destroyed the starters from last year. Now that team from last year was not very good. Uh, they finished last in the conference, but uh, yeah, I'm expecting a fourth place finish this year, and really excited about my aces again for the first time in a long time. Well, you should be. I think uh, I think we're probably. Well, I mean, you changed coaches a year before we did. I, I think we're probably a year behind you on a similar progression. I think the future is bright yep, for both. I agree. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I have. Um, that's my only issue with you. You got anything? You got anything uh, for me? Like you, you, you like me, right? I do. Yeah, I love Rex. I uh, and I'm a big fan of your show and what you're doing. It does the 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 purple does bother me a little bit. I'm, I, I definitely bleed maroon. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, I, I like I've told you. I think I'm I'm, I'm got to be one of your biggest fans, and I know that this is not something you came up with overnight. We discussed the the genesis, sort of the basis of what you're trying to do with the Fast Brackets podcast a year ago. So it's really cool to uh, to see you proceeding with it and doing such an awesome job. I think you're killing it. The only thing that I will take some exception with, and we've never discussed this. I mean, we're we're pretty tight. I have no idea. You were such, you had such like roadster hatred. <laughs> what, tell, I, I mean, as a guy that, you know, I mean, I, I drove a Corvette roadster for a few years. I kind of dig the roadster. I'm just a fan of all things race car. Where is, what is the genesis of this roadster hate? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, uh, we, yeah, we got to get into this. This is good. Um, so oh. here, here's where I'm at with the roadsters and um, I'm at the same point with roadsters as I'm um, at the same spot um, with like the four corners in basketball 
um, like uh, like walking uh, walking good hitters in baseball and like instant replay in football. Like I get it from a competition standpoint. I get it. I understand you're trying to win. You're doing everything from a, a viewer's perspective. Hate it. Like I I think our sport needs every opportunity it can to succeed. And there's there's a reason why soccer is the number one sport in the world, and it's basically because it, like the only rule is just kick it. Like that, I think that's the rule book is kick it, don't use your hands. Right, that's kind of the rule book for soccer. Um, and uh, when we get roadsters or half cars, like I like to call them, um, you know, I just I I would like them to be convertibles. Right, so if you want to drive a convertible, that's fine. Uh, but let's put the whole window in there. So that way, if there's anybody that walks through the, the gate, they won't go, what the heck is that thing? I've never seen. And I the next time Chevy produces a Camaro Roadster, I'm all for it. But uh, like I think, what was the Prowlers? Those are Roadsters, right? Um, I'm cool with those. So by that argument, like, the common spectator walks into the pro soccer pro mod pits and sees some wet dream body contraption and they immediately recognize, Hey, that's an Avenger. I, I mean, just because it's got a roof. I don't know, man. I don't know if I follow the logic. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I think it looks like a car though, right? I think you and I can have that conversation. I'm not uh, totally bent on it, but it falls in the category of, of instant replay at the end of the game where you just go, all right, let's, let's make a call and move on. Right. Like, uh, that's, that's where it goes. The category for me. Um, I know I have, I have a very weird worldview of things. Um, so, uh, you know, I get it. I knew that coming in. I just <laughs> didn't know the roadster thing. So right, I'm yeah. just a fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of race cars. I love all race cars equally. Yeah, and yeah. it's the year of the buggy. How can you be? How can you hit uh, against the buggy? Yeah, I know you and Luke and, or you and Jed have been talking about that. Um, I am happy to stay in our lane here at the fast brackets and get to <laughs> top sportsman, top dragster. No roadsters ever. <laughs> um, hey, Fair Fair hey, what's next for you? Like, what are you doing next? I know you just came off uh, Byron, right? What What's next for you? Uh, a couple of NHRA events. Uh, we'll go to Juliet. I plan on going to the double divisional in Topeka, and those are sandwiched around our JEGS summer door car shootout. Can't believe we've been doing that for nine years. So we'll have a lot of fun here at I-57 Drag Strip with that coming up in just, uh, what, a week and a half or so. Yep, I will see you then. Um, hey, um, how, can, how can our listeners check out This Is Bracket Racing if they want to step their game up? Yeah, the easiest thing is just go to the homepage. This is bracketracing.com. If you want to find out about our uh, premier membership community, this is Bracket Racing Elite uh, specifically, you can go to this is bracketracing.com/slash elite. Uh, typically, our interest in Elite has been so immense that we only open the doors to bring in new members a couple of times a year, but we do have one of those coming up very shortly. I believe it's July the 26th through August the 3rd. For that week, we'll have open enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite. So if you've considered joining our uh, premier community and or you want more in- more information about that, again, that will be available towards the end of the month. You can learn more. This is bracketracing.com slash elite. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for coming on. That was the great Luke Bogaki. Um, if you need him. Thanks, Luke. 
All right, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 12. Look up. We got the win light. Um, hey, thanks to Paul Nero and Luke Bogaki for coming on. They were fantastic. Hey, next week I am chasing some guys um, that will be awesome. Just stay tuned for that. Hey, subscribe on uh, like and follow us on Facebook. Tell your friends. That really is the best way for us to count listeners is is liking the Facebook page. Um, retweet and share that Facebook link. Um, as always, catch me on Fast Brackets at Twitter and the Fast Brackets podcast on Facebook. Hey, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Uh, and I enjoyed Ric Flair's national pride takes. Um, keep the rubber side down and travel safe. At this point, you're probably familiar with our latest podcast sponsor. This is Bracket Racing Elite. You know two-time NHRA world champion Luke Bogaki and his team of instructors that includes Kevin Brannon and Justin Lamb. What you may not know is that there is more to thisisbracketracing.com than the premier membership community, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Hopefully, uh, you understood that after this podcast today. Uh, but this is bracketracing.com houses more than 350 training resources dedicated to all facets of the competition. And each of those resources is available for purchase individually or as a portion of the master course on a certain topic, such as reaction time, finish line driving, tech, and more. You want to become the best version of yourself on the starting line? We all do. This is bracketracing.com is dedicated to helping you in that pursuit. Give yourself the advantage of understanding and the tools for improved execution. You deserve it. Learn more at this is bracketracing.com slash improve fast. Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is presented by this is bracketracing.com. As a racer, you invest a ton of time, energy, and money into competition. You deserve to enjoy the fruits of that labor. To do so, it's imperative to bring the best version of yourself to the starting line in every round of competition. That's where thisisbracketracing.com comes in. This Is Bracket Racing houses more than 350 training resources dedicated to helping you reach that goal through understanding and a focused approach to execution. The best part? When you visit thisisbracketracing.com, you get one training resource absolutely free. Better yet, you get to choose the training. It can be related to reaction time, finish line driving, mechanical setup, or the mental game. Whatever best applies to your specific needs at this time. Take the next step to become the best on-track version of yourself today at thisisbracketracing.com slash fast brackets. Great show today, great guests. World champs, man. Just like the Natch. Woo! Big man. You get great guests, man. They're awesome. Uh, Everybody has rallied around this uh, podcast and the topic, and um, it's it's only going to get better. You know what Ric Flair once said? 
He said a lot of things. Well, he said a lot of things. My favorite one was, well, you see this shoe? It's worth more than you make in a month, right? <laughs> the other my other favorite one was, was, it's the oldest ride in the, ride in the amusement park, but the it's still got the longest line. line. That's right. <laughs>